Welcome, it is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. Uh, yeah, it's Atlanta's Evening News. I, sorry, I, I'm brain fart here in that I I need to ask something. Last night, in the very last 15 seconds of the show, I said if there are any printers out there, um, print shops, we got to do our signs for the resurgent gathering and whatnot, uh, let me know. I have had so many responses. Uh, I, I don't need any more responses. Thank you so much, everyone who emailed. Uh, I have left in the hands of my capable assistant because I'm taking a father-son trip to New York for a couple of days. Um, she's going to find somebody who's close to her of, of all those who emailed. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, I, I'm somewhat flabbergasted by the number of responses. Uh, it has actually literally been overwhelming at this point. The number of people who responded. So thank you all who did. Um, I, we're good now. I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, we need to talk about landing on the moon because it relates into so much of the news of the day. But before I do, let me step back just a little bit, uh, go a little higher level if we can. We are now on, it is Thursday. It is uh, 410-ish. And we're talking about the president still in the media. I'm not, but the media is still talking about the president's remarks of send them back wherever. Um, In fact, it it is earlier today, trending topics on Twitter where I stand with Ilhan and send her back. Uh, All of these things, uh, Ilhan Omar, they were all trending. By the way, the president, of course, has now exposed her to the other line of, of... Uh, The attack exposing her in in the argument the media did not want to have with her. Uh, The media didn't want to raise the issues, and now they're having... How do you think that all began, and is there anyone in particular you blame on that? Well, the Democratic Party is really going in a direction that nobody thought possible. They're going so far left, they're going to fall off a cliff. So I think uh, they're making a big mistake, but who knows? That's up to them. Sir, isn't it an American principle to be able to criticize your government? Well, there's a lot of talk about the fact that she was married to a brother. I know nothing about it. I hear she was married to a brother. You're asking me a question about it. Uh, I don't know, but I'm sure that somebody would be looking at that. (laughs) Yeah. Now, for those of you who don't know, um, this is not some sort of right wing talking point. This was raised by uh, the newspaper in Minneapolis, St. Paul, not exactly a right-wing publication. And the suggestion is that she might have done it for immigration fraud purposes, to, to cheat the immigration system. But there are credible documents to show that she listed uh, someone with her brother's name as her husband and then was paying taxes with someone who she listed as her husband who was not her brother. It, it, the whole thing is is very interesting. The media did their best to try to avoid it. And now you've got Jim Acosta on CNN saying, oh, she said this isn't this isn't true. We can move on. But Jim Acosta, meanwhile, also maintains that when the president says something isn't true, they need to continue to pursue it. It just exposes the media yet again to biases. It, it builds distrust in the media. Now, the reason I say all this and, and bring it up, I, I didn't specifically want to talk about this issue today. But again, it is Thursday, July 18th. The president tweeted his tweet about they can go back to where they came from. 
the morning of Sunday, July 14th. We are still talking about it. The media is still talking about it. The media is still trying to get Republicans on the record about it. The point I'm making is that this news cycle has lasted longer than the James Hodgkinson news cycle. James Hodgkinson attempted mass assassination of Republican members of Congress at a baseball practice. With the exception of occasional media updates about the the updates on health of Steve Scalise, who was critically wounded in the attack, the media had moved on to a new story within 72 hours. The media was completely removed from the story, with, with the exception of occasional mention within 96 hours of the James Hodgkinson attack. And yet we are still on the president mean tweeting. We're, we're still on that. The media has failed to spend any amount of time of significance on the fact that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez called immigration facilities concentration camps and an anarchist Antifa member attempted thereafter to firebomb those facilities and lost his life in the process. The point I'm making here is that Ocasio-Cortez called something a concentration camp and caused a man to lose his life. Democrats said Republicans were going to kill people with health care reform and nearly cost six people their lives. All the president did was mean tweet on a Sunday. And the media is still talking about those mean tweets, which have caused no one to be wounded. But here's the thing. God forbid something were to happen to one of these members of Congress. The Democrats are talking like they expect it any day. We'll still be talking about what happened if something if something terrible were to happen, and let's pray it doesn't. But if something were terrible, something terrible were to happen to them, we would still be talking about it weeks later, when there was a mass assassination attempt of Republican members of Congress, and the media had moved on within seventy-two hours and fully moved on within ninety-six hours. Yet here we are still talking about the president's tweet. There is a real problem in the media these days. There, there, there is a, a genuine real problem with biased coverage in the media. And it's stuff like this that exposes it. And it's not just stuff like this. This all plays into where I said we wanted to be, where I wanted to begin today. This wasn't a, a, a just distracted tangent. It was willfully uh, tangential, but to draw your attention to another story out there today about the moon landing 50 years ago. That is now bad and would never happen today because feminists are outraged and the media is giving it inordinate amounts of attention. My point in raising all that and tying it into the Apollo 11 situation is the media continues to harm its own credibility. Pretty significantly so, I think. Uh, across the board, the media is making it more and more difficult for people to take it seriously. And, you know, it's not just a conservative phenomenon. There's plenty of data out there that it, the um, the left is having a hard time taking them seriously as well. Uh, Jake Tapper, for example, is under assault 
by the left, Jake Tapper of CNN, who I think is one of the fairest members of the press, is under attack from the left for not towing the party line on these statements from these left-wing members of Congress. And, and all of this comes to a head in the Apollo 11 coverage. Fifty years ago, the United States of America put a man on the moon, and I kid you not, the Washington Post and the New York Times, among others, are running stories that, for all of its flaws, the Soviet Union was a more equitable place than the United States, and the mission to the moon was deeply flawed because it was an anti-feminist affair filled with men with terrible home lives who, who were committing themselves to this jingoistic nationalist project of planting an American flag on the moon. Can you imagine, just 10 years ago, could you imagine the media running these sorts of stories? That This is totally in the age of Trump. That they would run these sorts of stories. We put a man on the moon, and instead of celebrating it, mainstream media outlets like the New York Times and the Washington Post are lamenting the lack of women being involved in it. We would never be able to do this project today because of the, this ridiculous quota system imposed by the media, our moral betters, as far as they are concerned. I mean, there actually is, is news in the New York Times. They're, they're op I, well, see, and this is what they would do. They will put this stuff on the op-ed page. They will give it infinite amounts of exposure through their social media channels to, to get everyone to click on it. They, the reporters will favorably talk about it on social media, but then they will say, well, it's not really news. We didn't put it on the front page. It's an op-ed. An op-ed is different. Yes, but you would never give that level of exposure, let alone run a piece from a conservative who ran a piece saying, you know, the, those men were awesome. Those men should be praised. No, you're not doing that. You're lamenting. You're using your editorial positions to lament these sorts of things. And I think people get the joke. The only people left in America who don't get the joke on this stuff are the press. But just consider where we are as a country right now. The mainstream media has decided they are our moral betters. You actually have hosts, not just guests, but hosts on various news outlets claiming that you are a racist if you are supporting the president of the United States. They have no intellectual curiosity as to why people who aren't racists might vote for the president as opposed to the Democrats. And they're running stories in the run-up to and, and at the 50th anniversary of the United States doing what no country on planet Earth has ever done before or is not currently and is not currently doing, instead of celebrating that fact, that feat, that heroism, that success, they're lamenting the fact that there were not enough women involved. By the way, this tells you everything you need to know about the modern feminist movement as well. Uh, what a bunch of professional whiners and victims. Instead of celebrating the success of these people planting a flag on the moon, putting men on the moon and bringing them safely back to Earth, they're complaining that there weren't enough of them represented. Why should anyone be inspired by a feminist movement? Why should any girl want to grow up to be a feminist when it now means that you're just an angry, bitter complainer constantly about other people's success? Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. Uh, there, so there's polling out uh, from, I believe it's from Reuters, Ipsos polling. One of, one of the big polls that came out in the last 48 hours turns out that a majority, not a plurality, but a majority of Americans support the president rounding people up through these ice raids and deporting them. Uh, but what is really surprising and what has gone underreported is that a majority of Hispanic voters in the country also support it. 
you know, I've, I've got a lot of, uh, friends who are from immigrant families and most of them don't particularly care for the president. He's not their cup of tea, but very few of them dislike his immigration policies. And I think every single one of them, uh, with the exception of two who are very, very partisan Democrats, um, but, but even the non-political ones support a wall. Uh, and, and all of them take the position that they came here legally. Everyone else should have to come here legally. They don't like the coming across the border illegally and then trying to claim asylum. Uh, they really don't like that. Uh, they don't like AOC. And and the polling is showing this. And I bring this up in particular because Axios has a story out that, oh, the demographics, uh, the demographics are working against the uh, Republicans, the GOP has a demographic decay, the increase in non-white population in select states. The single biggest threat is demographics. The numbers simply don't lie. America as a whole in swing states in particular are growing more divorce, d- divorce, uh, diverse more quickly. There's no way Republicans can change birth rates or curb this trend, and there's not a single demographic megatrend that favors Republicans. But So here's my problem with these stories, is they've been running these stories since Richard Nixon's election in 1969. I actually did this research before. There is this thing called LexisNexis, where you can go back in time, so to speak, um, to the days before the internet, find what newspapers were saying, and they were writing about these demographic trends back then. And every four years, there's a new story about how the demographic trend lines are, are working against Republicans. And they continue to ignore Republicans in Florida got 50% of the non-Cuban Hispanic vote. In Georgia, Brian Kemp got 40% of the Hispanic vote. In Texas, uh, Greg Abbott got over 50% of the Hispanic vote. Uh, they, they are single-mindedly focused on these things, and they're convinced that if you're non-white, you're absolutely going to be a Democrat. And in the case of black voters, that's true, but only true with them. And even with them, it begins to break down at, at the edges because of uh, white, rich, progressive secularists. But man, we're going to keep hearing these stories. Yes, the GOP does have issues, but I don't think it's nearly as dire as what the media says. And again, they've been running these stories since Nixon's election in 69. Uh, events change things. Events change things. Uh, demographics are destiny only if you allow it to be. And yet that's not the story we get from the press. So I read the stuff that you guys don't have to and, and try to process it and, and make sense of it and find out what other people are talking about in anticipation of what's going to be in the news cycle. You know, I, I run into this encounter all the time. I was up at a Perimeter Mall a couple of days ago and ran into someone who, yet again, the conversation goes, I've told you all in the past, uh, where do you figure out what's real and what's not in the news? Where do you figure out what's important? And honestly, I, th- that's my job. I spend my time reading news articles. I, I know numbers of the reporters. I can talk to the reporters and find out a, a, what the news of the day is. And, and if you listen to this program, there are days where I fall short of, of my own goal. More often than not of late, uh, because the news cycle has been so crazy. But, but the way I tend to view my job is what I should do is I should show up and tell you what the big news stories are of the day. And what's true and not in those news stories and then tell you what I think about them. So so you get honest news and and then I'll give you a conservative perspective on it. But one of the things I also try to do is anticipate where the news cycle is headed. And there's something pulsing out there and I want to raise it for you. It's a series of tweets from a man named Martin Varsavsky. He's a European uh, tech, I'm assuming multimillionaire. He 
has worked on the mobile industry, mobile technology in Europe. He's now got a fertility startup for older women in San Francisco. He commutes back and forth. I'm seeing reporters all over the country circulate this Twitter thread he's got. Uh, Just landed in Madrid, flying from San Francisco, and traveling around the USA where I lived for 20 years and I frequently work. The San Francisco versus Madrid change makes me wonder. Why are homeless people so rare in Madrid and so common in San Francisco when here GDP per capita is half? Why is the murder rate 500% higher in California than in Spain? Why is healthcare free even for tourists in Spain, paid for by Spanish taxpayers as a human right and so incredibly expensive and burdensome in California? Our son fell in the bathtub. We had a $12,000 bill for a few stitches at Stanford University uh, emergency room. Why are universities in Spain free and there's no student debt, while the U.S., there's more student debt than the GDP of Spain? Why are there in the USA more people in jail parole than there are inhabitants of Madrid, the third largest city in Europe? Why is litigation so common in the USA, so rare in Spain? Why is inequality in the U.S. twice as high as that of Spain? Why does Spain, who borders Africa and has such a bigger illegal immigration problem than the USA, provides amnesties for those who work for three years? The USA separates families from kids and conducts violent raids, has 11 million hardworking people who refuse to legalize. Why do people live four more years in Spain than U.S. when Spain spends 70% less per person in health care? Spain's not perfect. Housing costs are high. Good jobs, tougher to find. Half of Catalonians won out. Political corruption, unacceptable. Universities produce no Nobel Prize. But here, cancer does not mean bankruptcy. Pregnancies come with maternity leave, long vacations available to all, gun deaths, opium deaths unheard of in 2009 when employment shot up. Crime went down. Spain has the fastest growing large economy of Europe. USA is amazing at solving intricate science and technology problems that no other country has solved, but struggles at solving everyday life challenges. This is going viral among reporters asking these questions and so much of it sounds so good and makes you wonder until you actually start to think about it. Did you know, for example, well, first of all, he's comparing San Francisco to Madrid. And I got to tell you, you go to Madrid, there are lots of homeless people. I don't know what part of Madrid he lives in, um, but go to Madrid, you have people and they will harass you on the streets, just like they do in San Francisco. Maybe he lives in a bubble, but You know, the United States is composed of 50 semi-sovereign states and is more than 19 times the size of Spain. The United States can contain all of Spain's population, the entirety of Spain's population, in uh, a quarter of a quarter of a half of one of its states. The United States is vastly more ethnically diverse vastly more widespread, vastly many more languages, um, vastly different structure. And also, uh, Spain has been able to benefit and pour its resources into things because the United States has been protecting it and defending the free world while Spain has not. But there are many more misconceptions and whatnot in there as well. Notice he laments that uh, university education in Spain is free, but their universities don't produce any Nobel laureates. Yeah, wonder why that is. Also, that healthcare seems to be wonderful in Spain, but, you know, by the way, it actually is really good here in the United States as well. Um, and essentially what you have in the United States is many more millionaires and billionaires and people who rise from poverty up into the ranks of millionaires and billionaires through self-made success, and you don't have that phenomenon in Spain, with very limited exceptions. Also, you have the situation where in Spain there is is net migration out of the country. Uh, many, many more people from Spain want to come to the United States than people from the United States want to go to Spain to live. 
maybe there's something there. This is so hopelessly naive, except the, the way he's presented it scratches the itch of American reporters, and they're beginning to circulate this stuff. And I guarantee you, you're going to start seeing this phenomenon in the press where they start asking these sorts of questions, and they're going to blame Trump. That's what's going to happen here. They're going to blame Trump for the stuff. That's going to be it in a nutshell. I really do have to say it is one of the distinguishing features of the American media right now is how virtually every story has to be tied back to Donald Trump in some way. Um, I wonder what would the success be of a news outlet? Let's say so you got Nora O'Donnell now on CBS Evening News drawing all sorts of praise from the left because she called President Trump Sunday tweet racist. Oh, she's such a truth teller. She's trying to rebrand CBS News. They got rid of the man. And of course, she's got an advantage now in press coverage because she's a woman against two dudes and the media loves that sort of story, whether she's good or not. She's apparently a very nice person. Uh, but, 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 what, wonder what the ratings would be if the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell or, or um, what's his, Lester Holt on NBC or David Murr on, on ABC or, or Fox Wars or one, whatever that they would take the position of and the coverage of not everything's about Washington. Here are the stories that matter elsewhere and would stop trying to drag president Trump into every story. Cause I got to tell you, I do politics for a living. I come in here every night and think I got to talk about the big story of the day. The big story of the day, if it's not a Georgia story, it often involves the news in Washington. But there are a lot of other meaningful stories out there that are more deeply relevant to you than something happening in Washington that should be covered and often don't. And and one of the, the great joys I have in life is I can come in here and abuse your time, <laughs> I say that lovingly, uh, just meaning that I, I can come in here, many of you are expecting, oh, he's going to tell me exactly the, the the tirade on, well, the tirade on Hannity is always going to be about Hillary Clinton, but but uh, what other people on talk radio have said about whatever the big story is in Washington, D.C., what everybody's screaming about it, and I say, you know what, there are so many other major important stories out there in life and in the news cycle that you need to know about, you've heard about these other stories uh, 50 billion times today, and you've heard everybody tell you the exact same spin on it. Uh, either let me tell you something you don't know about it, or let me tell you about something you need to know that you're not hearing anywhere else. I wonder what a news the ratings of a news network would be. I mean, I know what my ratings are, and I, I, I wonder what a news network, it seems like there would be a legit angle for one of these news networks to take, except they can't because... National news is a product of a herd mentality and a herd culture, and all the reporters still believe they've got to take their direction from whatever's on the front page of the New York Times or the Washington Post and run from there. And that's deeply problematic because I think it's one of the geniuses of talk radio these days. Uh, whether you're listening to Rush, listen to me, or, or someone else, you're finding out all the other stuff out there that the news media is not going to tell you. Sometimes it's in digestible form, just like in the media. But I also think that you become a more well-rounded person because there is so much more out there. And I got to tell you, I get tired of talking about the Washington stuff every day. I don't know if you heard, but the Southern District of New York is uh, not going to charge anyone in the investigation regarding Michael Cohen payments and everything else. It's amazing how the media fallback was to this case when the Russia thing failed and there's no there there. Uh, The end... They're closing up shop. There are going to be no indictments. Michael Cohen uh, off to jail, but no one else. Uh, In fact, they're not even pursuing the campaign finance situation. Remember, that was the big one. Uh, And even I thought there was some merit to that one just based on my knowledge of campaign finance rules. But they're, nope, not going to do it. Not going anywhere. 
how much time had been invested by the media in these sorts of things really amazing um, that the media continues to try to work the silver bullet strategy. Uh, silver bullet strategy being that they think there's just this one thing that's going to take out Donald Trump, much as the way Republicans tried to work with Barack Obama and Obamacare. There's this one magic silver bullet that was going to end things. Uh, the Democrats don't actually want to compete on the playing field. They want to try to find some prosecutor to take out the president, which tells you their worries about 2020. There's actually data out polling that's shaping up to show that they do have some legit concerns on the Democratic side about 2020. And there's this growing fretting among Democrats that Donald Trump may actually be able to win because the Democrats are going to go too far left. There is a relevant Georgia angle to this that we should explore when we come back. Okay, okay, okay. I, welcome back, by the way. It's Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB Atlanta's Evening News. I I'm, I wasn't going to do this, but I got to do this. I, I got to dwell a little more on this news. The Southern District of New York is winding down its investigation into the Trump Organization, the Michael Cohen hush money payments, the, the president's operation, the campaign finances. There will be no indictments. Hope Hicks will not be perp-walked. The president, Ivanka, Jared Kushner, uh, Eric Trump, Donald Trump Jr., no, none of them going off to the po, uh, to, to the police, to the popo, no, nothing happening. The Democrats have continuously tried to find a silver bullet with which to take out this president's administration, and they failed. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez herself has said, if the president is not removed from office, he will probably win re-election. The Democrats have been emotionally invested in that point, and he's not going to be removed from office. Yesterday, a majority of House Democrats sided with all of the Republicans in the House to vote against and kill an impeachment effort. So he's not going to be impeached. He's not going to be indicted. He's not going off to jail. Democrats are going to have to compete with the president of the United States now on the election field. And they can run all of these stories about demographic change they want, but Republican numbers with Hispanic voters are far better than the Democrats would like. And the president understands he can make real inroads with Hispanic voters out there. I think he should. I, I think he's going to try. And we're seeing this now in Florida, of all places, where non-Cuban Hispanics, you know, this is the myth the media continues to hang on to. It's old news. Yes, Cuban Americans tend to be very pro-Republican because of communism and the Democrats dabbling with communism for years, even now. But non-Cuban Hispanic voters in Florida are voting Republican at 50%. That's a pretty staggering rate. It means Florida is less and less a swing state. Florida is continued to think of as a swing state by the Democrats, and less and less is it a swing state. Yes, it was very close in 2018, but again, just like in Georgia, one of the things that happened is Democrats turned out at a presidential level and Republicans did not. And we need to dwell there. We need to spend some time on this because there is data out there that suggests uh, that the Democrats are going to have a more difficult time than 2020 than many of them had expected. And one of the reasons is what we could consider a, a Ted Terry problem here in Georgia. Ted Terry, the mayor of Clarkston, uh, who's going to run for Senate as a Democrat. Uh, there are some national numbers and news out there 
that extrapolate the problem that the Georgia Democrats are going to have because of the Ted Terry problem, who's going to be a gift to David Perdue. So l- let me I- explain the, the Ted Terry problem to you. I played you the audio last week, Theresa Tomlinson, the mayor, former mayor of Columbus, who is a fairly mainstream mayor. She had been a Republican. She's now running as a Democrat. And, and her initial goal was she was going to get the business community to say, you know what, David Perdue, he's too in into Trump. He's too protectionist. He's not good in the free market. And and he's not progressive on social values and doesn't reflect corporate values on, on that. So you'll get a mainstream business-friendly Democrat who's also good on social progressive issues. Well, then here comes along Ted Terry, the mayor of Clarkston, who by all accounts is a nice guy. Uh, Look, I'm not going to argue this. Some of you are like, he can't be a nice guy because he's a Democrat. By all accounts, he's somebody you would want as your neighbor. Um, but he's also very progressive. He was on the Queer Eye show, got a makeover on the Netflix series. Uh, they made him get rid of his resistance beard, which he had grown. He's in favor of, of marijuana decriminalization, in favor of sanctuary cities. He's highly involved with the Sierra Club and environmentalists. He wants uh, Clarkson to be completely renewable energy, uh, raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, all these sorts of things that progressives love. And now Therese Tomlinson, who had been trying to portray herself as the reasonable person, is coming out saying, wait, 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 I'm more progressive than him. And I actually implemented more progressive policies in Columbus, Georgia, than he implemented in Clarkston. She's on video now. Now, maybe she's smoking his decriminalized weed because it's not actually that true. He is more progressive than her. But she's out there on video saying she's more progressive than him. She's on tape doing that. She is recorded doing that. And that will come back to it. And Sarah Riggs Amico is now coming out. She ran unsuccessfully for lieutenant governor. Has she run unsuccessfully for everything? I, I, I don't know. I don't know much about her, but it seems like she's a perennial candidate. Uh, but she's hiring a bunch of Stacey Abrams staff. She's going to go hard left as well. And it's dragging the Democrats, even in places like Georgia, it's dragging them to the left. And that's hurting them nationally. It's hurting them with Hispanic voters who, again, are culturally conservative voters. Like Wendy Davis... Um, in uh, Texas, who ran on abortion. Hispanic voters rejected her because she was a one-note wonder on abortion. We're seeing this problem with Democrats nationwide. There is polling out now that shows Brian Kemp's popularity has put him in the upper 20 of the 50 governors of the state. His polling popularity rating is now 52%. It was 30-some percent when he got elected. It was 40-some-odd percent uh, a couple of months ago. It is now over 50%. David Perdue is at 48%, which in the margin of error puts him essentially he could be at 50%. It's actually he's in the top of his class in the Senate because no one in the Senate is popular right now. Republicans are doing very well. Democrats not doing so well nationwide. You've got the situation with Doug Jones in... Alabama. Uh, The Democrats may be able to pick off Cory Gardner in Colorado, although Gardner is personally popular in Colorado, but they're going to have a hard time keeping Doug Jones in Alabama. I'm hearing Democrats are privately whispering they're going to give up on Alabama and make a play for Colorado to to swap them and maybe go after Susan Collins in Maine, except they don't have enough young voters in Maine to be able to beat Susan Collins. This is not a good setup for the Democrats. And as they have candidates, dynamic candidates like Ted Terry here in Georgia who jump into races and drag the party further left, it turns off more and more mainstream voters. Again, polling, objective, nonpartisan polling from good polling outfits show a majority of Hispanic voters support the president deporting illegal aliens. You don't hear that in the media. The media shapes its entire narrative around that not being true, and yet the polling suggests it's true. 51% of Americans 
also supported overall. The the political headline, the Politico headline, was that slim majority. Yeah, okay, 51 is only 1% above 50. But what about the minority, the people who oppose it? Only 30%. There are a large number of people who are undecided on it, but a majority of them firmly support it. The Democrats are going to have a very hard time coming back to the center. And Joe Biden is starting to realize this, and he's starting to stand up and say people like AOC and the rest are nuts, and, and he's not going to do some of this stuff. It's just crazy, and yet it's going to hurt the Democrats, and that's why they've wanted to take the president out with the silver bullet strategy, as opposed to having to run against him on the electoral battlefield, and now they're going to have to. Can I go back to Ilhan Omar for just a moment? Uh, I played you audio. Well, you know, I, I realized there were some of you, you, you couldn't be in your car at the time. I got to I gotta adjust the audio on this one because, man, did it blare loudly. Um, the president asked about her raising the issue that she didn't want to talk about. Now the media is having to talk Private about party. it. How do you think that all began? And is there anyone in particular you blame on that? Well, the Democratic Party is really going in a direction that nobody thought possible. They're going so far left, they're going to fall off a cliff. So I think uh, they're making a big mistake, but who knows? That's up to them. Sir, isn't it amazing? Mr. American principle to be able to criticize your government? Well, there's a lot of talk about the fact that she was married to a brother. I know nothing about it. I hear she was married to a brother. You're asking me a question about it. Uh, I don't know, but I'm sure that somebody would be looking at that. (laughs) The media. So this story came out in the the Minneapolis St. Paul newspaper uh, weeks ago now, and it had actually been covered fairly extensively in 2016, 2017, and 2018 by a number of conservative outlets in the Minnesota area and elsewhere. Powerline blog and, and others had reported on it, and the media willfully ignored it when the the um, St. Paul Press reported it. They, the rest of the media tried to ignore it. The basic allegation is that she wasn't, I mean, like married, married, like in, in incest, married to her brother, but did it to get around some immigration issues. It could essentially commit immigration fraud, wound up marrying to another guy, never formally filed any divorce paperwork with her brother. So she was technically legally for immigration purposes, married to her brother. Uh, at least that's the allegation, while she was lawfully married to someone else filing tax returns. All of that is illegal stuff. And she has denied it, and it's very revealing to see which reporters, Jim Acosta, who are out there saying, oh, no big deal. She said it's nothing. She's denied it. We can move on. Uh, Shows you the level of partisan hackery by the press. Y'all, at some point, the media has to hold itself accountable. There is vast lamenting in the press about the state of newspapers in this country. I I love getting a printed page. I I wish the AJC would run my syndicated column. They're one of the few papers in Georgia that doesn't. I'd write for them for free, and and they didn't want it. Um, I I love newspapers. I I subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. I subscribe to the New York Times. I subscribe to my local paper. Um, I, I like newspapers, but they're declining, yeah, in part because people are going online, but they're also declining in large part because of the lack of trust in the media these days. And it is amplified between editorial pages and between reporters and how they cover stories and what they cover. Really, most of the media bias out there is on what people don't cover in the press. And I think intuitively most Americans understand that. And until the newspapers and the TV stations 
understand this, they're not going to get any better. Y'all, one of the things I hear all the time from people is that you never know what I'm going to say. Even on the hot stories of the day, you've heard everybody else's take, and and I will probably say something heartfelt, meaningful, and you never saw it coming. Um, And and oftentimes, you'll disagree with me. (laughs) Let's talk about Ouija boards. (laughs) I, I debated whether or not to say this. So um, I was at Barnes & Noble last night, and they're selling Ouija boards. And, you know, I put this up on Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram at E.W. Erickson. I was actually kind of surprised by the level of anger and antagonism and mocking from people who don't even follow me on Instagram, hopping over to rudely comment. I wound up turning off the comment. I was just blocking people. Instagram's not really where I get political, and I, I put up this this picture noting the rise of a cult in the United States. And and this actually came on the same day I'd gone to lunch with my daughter and she was asking me about spells and magic and because she had been on Pinterest and discovered there were Pinterest channels. I'm not a Pinterest person, channels, sites, whatever within Pinterest where people put up spells, supposedly magic spells that supposedly work. Consider that. In an age, and most of these people, interestingly, consider themselves nuns. They consider themselves atheists. They, they don't consider themselves religious people. And yet they, they're deeply into this white magic, black magic thing. Of course, my daughter wanted to know why there was race involved in, in magic between black magic and white magic. But <laughs> she was being funny about it. But still, um, you, you get my point. Uh, the rise of the occult and mysticism, particularly among people who consider themselves atheists, or secularists, is very interesting. And and the Ouija board has made a comeback. The Ouija board, when I was a kid, uh, you could find them in in lots of places, and then they kind of disappeared. Now they're back at Barnes & Noble on the bookshelf. And people who are secular, people who do not believe, for some reason they'll believe in luck and superstition, and they don't think these things matter. I got to tell you, there is not a coincidence. There's not a coincidence at all between the decline of the one true faith and the rise of the occult among people who consider themselves not religious. You get rid of God, something fills the void. Why? Because he's real. And if you get rid of him, there are plenty of other things you can't see trying to take up the space. And, you know, I think it's Augustine trying to define what evil actually, what is actually evil? You know, modern society believes in the Hollywood version of evil that it is a monster that comes out of the closet and tries to kill you. It is the the man in the hockey mask you can't kill who can kill you. It is the, the nightmare Freddy Krueger in your dreams. That's evil. Evil is the absence of God. This isn't your sermon for the day, but but that that is, I think, your your technical, precise definition of evil is the absence of God. When God removes himself from a society, you see the society begin to go off the rails. Evil is the absence of God. So now take take these people on, on Pinterest who are trying to cast spells or the people playing with the Ouija board that they see as some sort of innocuous game, channeling spirits. You're, you're trying to call upon the divine, but you're calling upon the divine with the absence of God. You're trying, in other words, to call upon a supernatural power that is not godly power, a power absent God. You're calling evil. And I realize there are many of you listening right now, you're not believers, you're not Christians, you think this is nuts, you're like the people who are mocking me on 
Instagram for putting up that picture and, and basically saying on Instagram what I'm telling you right now. I, I totally get it. I, I understand you, you don't believe. I, I don't have enough time here to try to convince you otherwise. But for the rest of you, just just note what's happening in society. The, the rise of, of people who say they are atheists, they do not believe in God, and yet they think uh, they're going to go uh, cast a charm, cast a spell. The the people who are playing with the Ouija boards, going to get their fortune read. I mean, look at look at Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talking about her horoscope and the stars aligning for certain things. Uh, someone who is not a believer um, doing that. It's just, it's very striking to see. There's, there's something else that's striking. I have to be careful how I say this part because I get tons of my friends will, will misunderstand if I'm not careful. But when you go back to the old Testament and God gives the Israelites rules, part of which are to separate them from everyone else in society around them to distinguish themselves. So one of the things they have to give up is the occult. They have to give up mysticism and witchcraft. Uh, which suggests that everyone around them did this sort of stuff. One of the other things they had to give up were tattoos. Couldn't have tattoos, which suggests everyone else around them did. Uh, and it's very interesting to me that as Christianity has declined, the the rise of people with tattoos have gone up. Now, I, I'm not saying that you can't be a Christian if you have to. That's, I'm not saying that at all. I have plenty of great Christian friends, including several pastor friends of mine, who have tattoos. Uh, it is what society does. It, it is just interesting to me that it was so prevalent at the time in the Old Testament that God thought one of the ways to separate the Israelites from the rest of society was to say no tattoos. Here in a society, as Christianity has declined, the rise of people with tattoos has gone up. We're we're almost reverting back to the mean of in, in a non-God society, people distinguish themselves through expressions of individuality, through permanent tattoos on their body. It's just, it's, it's fascinating to me to see these historic cycles. Um, but one of the, the troubling things, not tattoos, you can be a great Christian and, and have tattoos. It, it is though the people who are secular and they see nothing wrong with casting a spell or or it's harmless or play with a Ouija board. I'm telling you, it's not harmless. Uh, and, and I genuinely believe that. And you can call me crazy or you can mock me, but it's not harmless. This rise of the occult will end badly for you. Uh, and if you got kids, you probably want to admonish them that Harry Potter is all well and good, harmless fun. But you start actually believing that that stuff is true. You're calling upon a divinity that's not godly, which means you actually are calling upon some level of evil. There's your wild card topic of the night. You people never know what I'm going to talk about. And hey, I just talked about that. I have my 10-year-old here with me in studio. We are headed to Hartsfield. Your prayers are appreciated. I will not be here tomorrow or Monday. I am going to take a father-son trip. Uh, he has been asking me for a couple of years to take him on a trip. I've taken his sister on several trips when she was his age that he is now. Uh, and so we're going to go up to New York tonight. Uh, we're going to head down to the airport here in a minute after the show. Uh, take a late flight to New York. We'll be there Friday, Saturday. Go to D.C. on Sunday. Uh, go hang out at the White House on Monday, and I'll be back here Tuesday afternoon, I'm sure, with some fun stories. But your prayers are appreciated uh, on this father-son trip. Um, I'm hoping we'll have lots of fun in New York. Uh, he really wants to see New York. It's going to be hotter there this weekend than it's going to be here. But it's going to be hot here as well, so stick around for traffic. Um, I have no idea who's in for tomorrow, but thank you, whoever it is. Thank you. God bless you for allowing me to take a, a night off with my son and go to the big city with him. It'll be fun. Also... There's time to register. 
uh, but because of our security concerns, we can't do registration at the door for the resurgent gathering. So if you want to come, text Atlanta to 345-345 and then use the link. I'll send you back. I'll text you back. I'll send you a link. You got to use that link and register. There won't be registration at the door. Secret Service would have, or security, I should say, will have problems with us doing that. Um, so text Atlanta 345-345 and I will see you guys next week.